everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. And as always, I am still the Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. Find out more about what we do at chicagojustice.org. Get involved at cjpnation.org. Help support our work at patreon.com if you want to become a patron and get insider views of everything we do and some special content that's starting up this week on Friday. If you're watching us, if you're listening through the pod, please subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe and like buttons and hit the bell so you're updated anytime we post. We really appreciate it. So today we're going to talk about a research, bit of research done by Loyola University's Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology. Don Steeman, Dave Olson, and Patrick Smith, if I got the names right, which I believe I did. So what is it? It's a title a little bit of time. And it's a really a fascinating piece. And I want to spend some time talking about it today because it gives you a little bit of insight into just how warped, just how warped the view is of some of the people in the criminal justice system. Now I'm talking offenders that are in prison or jail or you know, I think that I'm literally talking about the people working in the system, sheriffs, prosecutors. Okay. And this all comes down to their response to the Pretrial Fairness Act, the omnibus bill, which, among other things, we're going to specifically be working, thinking about bail reform today. And basically, the underlying theme inside this act related to bail is. What is bail really about? What is it supposed to do? Bail was created to make sure that people who have been arrested show up for court. Now, there have been times when we have thought, hey, maybe there are certain offenses that are so heinous and the likelihood of you reoffending or fleeing the jurisdiction is so great that we need to keep you in jail. That was like the origins of bail. Now that has changed over time. And like everything in the criminal justice system, the, the people within the system, the officials, the agents, have kept sucking more and more and more and more power because the legislatures have let them do it. So now we have a system where people can spend months, weeks, months, over a year, in jail in Illinois, awaiting trial for something because they're poor. And we're like, Hold on a minute, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, you get arrested for your fifth shoplifting or fourth shoplifting, whatever you want to say, and they make the bail $2,000, $2,500. You got to pay 10%. Can't come up with $150, $250, You sit in jail where someone who can come up with the money gets out. They're just as likely to reoffend, and they're just as big a threat to leave the jurisdiction. It's basically keeping the poor in and letting the people with resources out for no other reason than they have resources. They're both as likely to show up. If they both get out on bail, they're both as likely to show up for court. They're both as likely to reoffend. What the hell are we doing? And that's a system we have now that is just completely broken, right? Basically, the Pretrial Fairness Act mostly ends cash bail. There are some offenses where if you're really 
violent and you're really likely to reoffend, they can keep you. But it eliminates that disparity in the system where the poor stay in and the, you know, middle class to upper class or people who have resources or people who are tied to criminal enterprises like gangs or drug networks who have the money can put up the money that person gets out. So I'm going to go through some quotes and read you some quotes from the piece. I highly recommend you read it. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the podcast notes. You really, it, you really should read it, but I'm going to read pieces of it for you today. The first one is, now understand, ladies and gentlemen, let me preface this by saying, the criminal justice system, year in and year out, year in, year out, year in, year out, keeps sucking up more and more money, more and more and more money. And you never hear a sheriff or a police chief or a prosecutor, a state's attorney in Illinois, say, hey, you know, we have enough money to do our job. We don't need to keep expanding the office or the department. Please spend that money on things that'll work better to eliminate people offending, getting rid of poverty, homelessness, people being hungry. No, 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 you never hear that. So it's in that context, I want you to hear the rest of this show. Because the criminal justice system and the officials quoted in this piece, which are all anonymous, are not necessarily responsible for creating the circumstances. But they have some responsibilities that keep sucking more and more resources out of the system. And they keep fighting attempts by elements in the system and advocates for reform, for violence against women advocates, for sexual assault advocates, for um, mental health advocates, for uh, drug addiction advocates, to set up alternative responses like it's going on in Chicago right now. And this is Seattle, and you can go to countless places, New York City, Denver, right? Since the George Floyd that sprung up all across the country. Now it was active in, in Oregon for 30 years, uh, as we've talked about on the show many times, but remember that. The resistance to this by the police unions, racist, alt-right, insurrectionist supporting organizations, most if not all of them, especially their leadership, absolutely. They're fighting that, their resistance to that through the decades has hampered the ability to create systems to better respond to crime and violence, poverty, hungry, hunger, um, homelessness, because they, they fight against it. They're one of the chief vocal opponents against alternative response. They want the power. They own. They know better. You're never going to get. You're not. I'm sure you're going to be surprised, but these are almost all white, alt right, straight, almost not entirely by any stretch, but overwhelmingly, right. The people that are fighting these reforms. So I want that in in your head as you're listening, right. So the first one, use of jail as an effect a permanent public shelter. Here's the quote. We, we charge people who really, weak cases, you know, knowing that it's thin and terrible because we don't know what to do with these folks who are out breaking into places. And it's not out of criminality, it's survival. Which is where the jail comes in. 
in the prosecutor's county, in this prosecutor's county, we were told this, the standard bail amount in meth possession cases is $300 with a $30 offset per day in custody. Most of the time they post it, the prosecutor told us. If they don't, that gives them 10 days to sober up. Okay. So instead of being out there advocating for, hey, let's build up systems to change those circumstances so that I don't have to just like put people in jail, we can do something else. Mm -mm -mm -mm. None of that, none of that is here. Everything is not their fault. They're just doing the responsible thing. They're the ones in power with the guns and the badges and the law, and they will use it and turn it and tweak it to any way they deem fit. And we, as Colonel Jessup said, we should not question the manner in which they do it. They know better than all of us. This is, again, a, a, a complete, um, it's a symptom of a complete and total failed system doesn't mean everyone it works in it's a total, complete and fail but see how bad the system is remember they, they're not advocating to build up these systems right so this was a sheriff is the sheriff campaigning for homelessness mm -mm. take some money from my department or the jail and go build those systems nope i'm just working with the circumstances oh okay but you're not gonna you're not gonna advocate to change them Partly, if not mostly, I would bet out of not wanting to give up power. He knows better than everyone else. White, straight, male, in power, gun, badge, the law. He knows better. Don't question it. Telling people, if you listen to this podcast, I've told you before, the scariest parts of the criminal justice system is not urban departments. They're bad. Rural sheriffs are much, much, much worse. Not every single one of them. God, so many. And they don't have a media calling them out. They aren't being investigated. And they don't have a police accountability system. So they're very scary. Next, interrupting, offending, resolving crisis. Now remember, resolving crisis. Another is, is that brief timeout periods of incarceration to resolve crisis or simply interrupt offending may be indispensable to public order. We see some defendants that get out in like a snowball period where they're off the rails, another prosecutor told us. If they have another opportunity, they will be the, the way they are running right now, they're going to do something else that's going to bring them before law enforcement quickly. The last thing I want to do is take someone away from their family, yet another prosecutor said. But in certain circumstances, someone needs an adult timeout. Ladies and gentlemen, why do only the poor get adult timeouts? And by the way, who the hell are you? What power gives you, by law, the, pow the power to determine who needs a timeout? And this is where there's a problem with this piece. Uh, Don, Dr. Don Steeman, Dr. Dave Olson, Loyola, the main author, the first author listed was Patrick Smith, whose last I checked is not a PhD and was not with Loyola. I think he's writing a part of a grant. He might be there, but I don't think he is. He was formerly of MacArthur. We have a back and forth, so I won't go into that, but I am not a Patrick Smith fan. But the question would be, who? What? the next question would be, who gives you that power? Where in the law do you have that power? Have you advocated for, that seems unconstitutional to us. Have you advocated to change laws so that it becomes legal that what you're doing? What's the lowest offense you'll give someone a timeout for? What criteria do you use it? Under what law gives you that power? Come on, do you jail everyone? At what, I mean, is it 
Is it retail theft? I mean, what's the lowest thing someone can do? Drug possession that you would never consider them giving an adult timeout? No, no, nowhere to be found. It's still an interesting piece, but there were a lot of questions unasked. Next, an unconstitutional power. A third in the notion, quoting here, a third in the notion that, a third is the notion that post-arrest jailing serves as simple and immediate sanction for crimes, a rough and ready practical deterrent that official punishments cannot provide and the public cannot do without, rural prosecutor. I think all crimes are going to go up if people don't spend a little bit of time in jail. Rural sheriff, you're not holding them accountable other than, hey, look, you know, show up to court on June 10th. No, dude, you're not the accountability person. You arrest, they prosecute, the judge in the court and the jury decide. That's it. You're not judge, jury, executioner. These guys are scumbags. Scumbags. They're forcing their alt-right view onto a public in an unconstitutional manner. They should be outed. They should be investigated. They should be thrown out of office and probably go to prison. What gives them the right to do this, to make those decisions uh, independent of anyone else? Well, everyone needs some uh, punishment. Jail is not supposed to be punishment. It's supposed to be to stop people unless they go through the court system and are adjudicated guilty and sentenced to jail. That's the only punishment where it goes. What the hell are they talking about? This is a broken system. Both these people got to go. And I bet you if you look at their system, you would see massive racial where there, if there are racial people or there are people of color in those counties in that county, or their counties, because it depends on if they're from the same one or not, you would see massive racial disparities. Scumbags. Scumbags. It's just very frustrating. This is massively out, outside the law. But they don't care. They know better. They know better. Don't worry about the law. The law only comes into it when I'm applying it on others and I get to determine what happens to their bodies and their lives and their souls, not the laws that hold me accountable. This is the problem with rural prosecutors, all prosecutors, but rural ones especially. Rural prosecutors, sheriffs, horribly. There is no one holding them accountable. God, if people in Chicago only knew how bad the rest of the state was. Next, speaking of unconstitutional, forcing plea bargains. Now remember, ladies and gentlemen, before you hear this, the Pretrial Fairness Act is trying to let people not force the poor who can't afford to pay the bond to stay in jail, where the middle class are people who are wealthy or people who are connected to a drug or um, some kind of illicit network or illicit organization that can pay the bail for them, they get out. So what we're trying to say is, no, if those people get out, then the poor should get out. Why should someone stay in jail if they can't afford three, 500 bucks or 2,000 or 5,000? If you're going to let people out, then you're letting everyone out, unless there's some exigent circumstances about violence, right? There's, you're sure they're going to go kill the people. They've sworn they're going to go kill a witness or something. Other than that, everyone gets out. You're just not letting the rich out and the poor in. That's ridiculous. And one of the reasons they're doing this is this next quote. It's about plea bargains. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, if every public defender stopped immediately taking any plea bargains just for a week, a month, 
forget about the criminal justice system would stop. The Chicago police would have nowhere to stick people. They'd have, their, their cells would be overflowing. This system just keeps rotating people in and out, in and out, in and out endlessly. That, this here, is just a massive, massive evidence, piece of evidence that the system is broken. So I quote, Fourth is that the justice system itself, having grown to depend on defendants to resolve low-level criminal cases via voluntary pleas, voluntary, ladies and gentlemen, remember that word, back to the quote, will break down without the added pressure provided by a routine pretrial incarceration. Here's a state's attorney. Quote, they understand the lack of consequences, a state's attorney told us, referring to those who commit crimes. They're going to very quickly know the non-detainable offenses and the erosion of the system. Of course, pretrial holding is not legally considered to be a punishment. Right, right, got that? Well, that's this state's attorney process admitting they are acting outside the law. Arrest them. Back to the quote. And when all the officials we spoke and we were aware of that, in a sense, they were simply acknowledging what everyone knows, that nobody likes to go to jail, whatever the official view of its purpose may be. As another sheriff pointed out, by substituting a ticket or court date for what is Substituting a ticket or court date, it doesn't right, make sense, for what had been a been the prospect of some time behind powers, we've lowered the consequences to some extent. They have. That's the goddamn law. That's the law. Once again, question's not asked. There's no question in this whole goddamn thing. There's no statement about it. One would have to ask Patrick Smith why about the poverty issue and the fact that we don't want the poor to stay in and the rich to stay out. There's no mention of this. It's still an interesting piece, but that's a big problem. Illinois, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, probably leads the country. If not, it's pretty close in, in false confessions, false convictions. Um, yeah, many come from plea bargain. Um, and anyone who wants to know how bad rural people are, go look on our website. The link will be in the notes. Jim Glasgow, Will County State Attorney, had his Fox, uh, his response to the Fox, um, the Riley Fox murder, and his office in the Will County uh, Sheriff's getting a false confession from his father, from her father. You can go look on there. It's all. I'm not going to go into it now, but go look. Um, it's pretty sad. The simple fact is, these people don't care about the law. They are the law. They don't care what's in. They get to decide to go who, who gets to go to jail. They make the decision. They're empowered. They're almighty. They don't care about the checks and balances. Oh, no, we got to inflict. If a person gets arrested, they're absolutely 100% guilty. We must automatically punish them immediately. Even though they haven't been convicted of a crime yet. Man, that sounds so unbelievably Russian. I mean, isn't that dictatorial? I mean, it's dictatorship, right? It's fascist. Fascist. I think if you... Went around and talked to most of the sheriffs in Illinois, this is what you'd get, if not worse. If you went to talk to most of the sheriffs and prosecutors around the country, this is what you'd get. Most of these people are alt-right to alt-right, for sure, can, very conservative to alt-right. So much for small government, right? They're, in they're fine with government, big government, as long as they're the ones in charge. So the next section about revolving door, here's a quote. From the general public standpoint, one prosecutor in a small rural county said of the new law, quote, they're not going to like it because they're going to see it as a revolving door as criminals getting arrested and being released and getting arrested. End quote. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, it is already a revolving door. 
This is politics. This prosecutor is worried about getting reelected. No, it's politics. You know what? Those poor thousands and thousands of the poor all around the state who commit minor offenses, they should have to sit in jail so I get reelected. Because that's how much of a piece of shit I am. Right? I'm, I'm such a piece of shit that I don't care about the impact on tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people over time. We don't give a shit about that. Screw them. Don't care. Throw them in jail. Just let me get reelected. Point to them. I'm following the law. I enforce the law. I follow the law. That's what I do. They wrote the law. I'm going to enforce it. Bottom line. That's it. No, 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 no. They don't care. They don't care. You got to throw most of these bums out. Most of the people who are doing this should just be thrown in jail. I think, honestly, this is really some evidence of federal investigations that need to come in and do sheriff's offices. Okay, last section. Leverage is everything. Back to the article. Statewide, about 87% of felony convictions were achieved via guilty pleas in 2021. Collectively, in counties outside of Cooks, it was 97%. And routine pretrial incarceration has a lot to do with that, according to both prosecutors and defenders we interviewed. 97% end in plea bargains. That shows you a couple things. The public defenders, you suck, get them out, fire them all, start all over again. Screen them. I'm sorry. If 97% of your criminal, felony criminal cases end in plea bargains, you're not doing your goddamn job. Here's why. There is no goddamn way under any circumstances, any criminal local criminal justice system, sheriff, local police to the prosecutor in Cook County, in DuPage, any other county throughout Illinois, rural or the city or whatever, is getting arresting 97% of the right people. Nor do they have enough evidence to convict 97% of the people. It's bullshit. It's laziness. There's this concept called the courtroom working group, which is a problem where the prosecutor and the public defender and the judge all work on the same courtroom. So there's the quorum that has to be kept and you have to have build relationships. And, you know, public defenders can only spend like they can't ask for a trial on everyone that'll piss the judge and a prosecutor off and they don't have the time. So they only ferret out a small percentage to actually do any real work for it. That's a problem. The Pretrial Fairness Act probably should have doubled or tripled or quadrupled the funding for public defenders offices around the country, and you'll see that number plummet. There is no goddamn way that 97% of the people arrested for felonies are guilty or that they have the evidence to do it. It's just mind-boggling. It's, it's mind-boggling. No. Police officers, by and large, are undereducated, working in horrible systems under horrible circumstances. And a lot of them are very racist. A lot of them are very misogynistic. They have biases. There's people in the community they don't like. There is no way 97%. I don't even think 87% is anywhere near accurate. There's no goddamn way. It's ridiculous. But it's what happens. So you stick someone in jail and say you're going to spend the next year and a half in jail waiting for court, waiting for your court date, or you can plead and get out in a month or two or three or six or, you know, 11 months. What would you do? And then the next time they bust for something small, they already got a felony conviction. So they do even more time. It's all ridiculous. It's a pretty good piece. It has no follow-up. There's no challenge to it. It is interesting because it brings this up into the discussion. So I appreciate that a lot. I just think that a couple of follow-up questions. 
I mean, honestly, this mostly, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, but it could have been done by journalists in Chicago because there are no follow-up questions whatsoever. Um, it was interesting to bring up the discussion, but in total hackery, academic hackery, I didn't see this make the news at all. And that's a hack. That's a hack job. Academics are very good at it. They don't publicize what they do. Um, this could have started a very good, been part of the a discussion in the public, right? It could have brought up one. But no, because it's it's just not publicized the right way, so it didn't make the news. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. It's being This is being released on Wednesday, February 22nd. If you're listening to this tomorrow, or actually today, I think, a report authored mostly by the Washington Lawyer Committee, but is um, that is the data underlying all the analysis in that report was opened by the Chicago Justice Project in Washington, D.C. It's on the Washington, D.C. gang database. Don't ask me why. I don't know. I don't know. But the executive summary is getting released now. And then in April, a larger part of the report. I don't get that. Not my choice. But it's getting released today to the media. It should. I don't know if it lives online because, once again, I did not author this or release it. So I don't know. But tomorrow morning, starting at 9.30 a.m., the oversight hearings for the D.C. City Council related to the Metropolitan Police Department, the police department here in D.C. start, and there's going to be a bunch of community organizations testifying about that report or the executive summary of that report. Um, but that will be out, and I will be talking to you next week about the results of that study and what happens at the hearing tomorrow. If you're interested, you can go to the D.C. City Council. It starts at 9.30 Eastern. You can stream. Everything's virtual. Um, thank you so much. Once again, if you want to get involved in our work, cjpnation.org, you want to support our work, patreon.com. I'll be back with you next week.